morning. morning. You'd open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10. We'll um, we'll begin reading in 10, and we'll thank you. Thanks so much. And um, we'll we'll look at the first verse of chapter 11 as well. So verse chapter 10, I want us to begin reading um, verse 32, and we'll read down through chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 10, 32. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. After being enlightened, you endured a great, <clears throat> partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. I wanted us to look at this morning this the, the subject matter of having faith and living by faith. <clears throat> These that we're reading here, we just read some pretty amazing things that they had endured, things that they had gone through that um, the seizure of their property, joyfully letting those things go, already knowing, having such a faith that looked into the, to eternity that they knew they had better and lasting possessions. And though they would need to suffer for a period of time in this world, the joy of what was coming superseded that. It was, a, it was a joy that the Holy Spirit had given to them. It's a supernatural gift of his and yet they had, come to, they had come to a difficult point in their faith. They began to slip with that view. They began to be concerned about the issues going on around them. They began to stumble even in their faith, even in the things that we sang about and affirmed of who the Lord Jesus is, the Son of God, very God and very man. These things began to be issues for them because they were so persecuted for holding fast to them. And so they began to have struggles in their faith. And so the writer here is really addressing, he says, you have need of endurance. You've done so well. There's a reward to the promise. Continue in the faith you have. Don't throw away your confidence. And so much of the things we struggle with day by day in the Christian walk, in the Christian faith, sometimes they can be very little things and they just kind of undo us. We're, we're out of sorts. We're not walking with Christ as we are. We're not... Uh, manifesting a Christ-like nature to other people because we're preoccupied with what's happening to us. Or they can be large things too, and they can be long-lasting things. Whatever they are, we want to look at this, this text this morning. <clears throat> what is it to have faith? Uh, what does that mean, and what is it to live by that faith? Uh, chapter 11 is a wonderful picture. It's an illustration of what it is to live by faith. And there's so many little things to learn out of that. We're going to look mainly at, at verse 1 and then just a few examples out of chapter 11 to see how that actually comes to pass. First of all, what is it to have faith? You know, it tells us very clearly faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And some translations may say it is the substance of things hoped for or the evidence of things not seen. 
the way the chapter is laid out and what the author is seeking to get across to the hearers, really the words assurance and conviction work so much better. Substance and evidence has much more of a tangible nature to it. So that the underlying meanings to these words are very important because if you have assurance through the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, in the things that God has promised to give to you because of your faith, you as well have them in hand. It is as though you have the very substance of the matter already. You know, God looks at things that way and he wants his people to look at them that way as well. Same thing with the, um, you know, the conviction of things not seen. Having conviction of those things that you cannot see but that you know are true through the truth of God's word. Uh, his purposes that he's going to be working out even as we heard in Psalm 98 and even as we've sung about in his coming again. Having that conviction is the same as having the evidence. So strong is faith it gives us that tangible grasp on the things we can't see even in the midst of a world of the things we do see that are intimidating, are discouraging, are disheartening, and they're tempting, and all the things around us. And we know this, we, Paul talked about, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so a lot of what we want to look at this morning is that, is that very issue. So faith is what allows us to live that way. So having this assurance and this conviction, then where does that strength come from? That's having faith, is having that assurance. And I don't mean assurance of salvation, that I know one day I'm going to be with the Lord forever. That, that's true in the very ultimate sense, but what about this very day? Are you, is that the truth of that reality? Does it affect you profoundly today? Is the assurance you have strong in the Lord as he is with me very presently, just as much as he will be with me in the day when I see him? That's more the assurance that the writer's getting to and the, and the conviction of the things I cannot see. And so where does that come from? Where does that strength? That is having faith, and where do they come from? And, it, and it's very simple. It's right there in the text. It comes from the things, the assurance comes from the things hoped in. And the conviction comes from the things that we cannot see. So how does that work? In other words, the things hoped for are to be found in those things that God has clearly promised in his word. So where God has clearly promised in his word the things that he is doing in his church, in the lives of his people, that's where our hopes are set. We can have a lot of other hopes. We can hope for the salvation of our children. We can hope for... Um, an employment not to end. We can hope for all kinds of other things, but those aren't the hopes that God has centered our attention on. The assurance that comes to the believer that gives him or her the strength to walk day by day through the trials of life, to walk day by day with peace and with joy in the Lord, to be a fruitful believer, is that, is that faith that comes from the things that God has given a hope toward, that he is going, we are going to be uh, resurrected in that final day and be like our Savior, that we are going to be in his very presence forever, that sin will be completely done away with and evil will be put down and every tear will be wiped away. All the things we read about in the end of the Revelation and throughout the covenants of the Old Testament, these great promises that you will be my people, says God, and I will be your God. Those are the promises that our hearts center upon and we find strength in, even as we have other hopes of our own, which are good, and that God blesses as well. But those hopes, those other hopes that we don't see in the word aren't ones we can, that where assurance is going to come from. And assurance gives us a great strength to go on. But in the same thing, we look at conviction. Where is this conviction, this strength of conviction? We, you see it in some of the Old Testament examples. The, even in the children of Israel getting ready to be cast into the fire. You know, oh king, you know, our God can save us from this fire, but even if he does not, we're still not going to comply. That's conviction. The conviction of who the eternal God is that they worshipped. He was that very present and real God. 
And that's what the writer says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the things that God has promised to his people, and it is the conviction of things unseen, the conviction that God is working out his purposes every single day. There's not a minute in the day throughout when, since history has began that God has not been actively involved in working out a glorious purpose and a conclusion to everything. And that is what holds our hearts. And that is a hope that needs to be nurtured uh, and is so easy to let slip away and be distracted by the world of the many things we need to do or get done or be discouraged and disheartened by the things that naturally will come into our lives like they come into all people's lives. Whether it's issues with finances or health, employment, uh, sicknesses, our children, whatever those concerns can be. We need to constantly elevate our hopes and our convictions to those places where they belong and live in that strength that God gives. You know, faith by nature is nurtured and strengthened by returning our eyes and our hearts back to those things. You know, one of the things we do best for ourselves daily as we come to his word and we read it, maybe it's in the morning before we go to work, maybe it's in the evening before we go to bed, maybe it's both. But we keep reminding ourselves of the great hope and the great blessing of being God's people and what he's promised us. And the conviction that notwithstanding all I may read in the news today and all that I may see going around me, whether it's in the world or my own community, that God is working out his purposes. You see, his purposes and his promises, they work hand in hand. The hope and the conviction, they work hand in hand because God promises what he's already purposed to do from eternity. That's why his promises are going to be fulfilled. He's already, before the world began, he purposed to work in a way to bring about a glorious conclusion and along that way, he gave his people promises and promises and promises to strengthen their hearts so that they would live above this world, that they would be a people marked out by him, and that they would be a people living for him and be a light in the world to those who don't know what's going on. They don't have a faith. They don't have a God watching out over them. One thing that faith does, well, I just wanted to to jump for a moment in the middle of this chapter 11 before we actually look at some examples of, of faith working. And that is that um, if we look at chapter, in, in chapter 11, verse 13, I'll just read what it says there. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. You know, that is really faith in action. Again, we talked about looking to the horizon. You know, faith breathes, breathes the air of eternity. It's not just locked into my little finite life and the issues that are going on day by day. It, it looks at the whole fabric of history and it sees the church involved in this day and age, in this place in history, and fulfilling its place in history, and your life is fulfilling a place in that history. And I see it in the continuum of eternity, and all the purposes are gonna be filled on the other end of it. And I look at those things and I welcome them from afar. I keep my heart and my hope fixed on those things. And that's how I live my day-to-day -day life and deal with the issues that need to be dealt deal with. Deal with the, the practical concerns of this life without becoming overly concerned or overly involved in things that God is going to take care of. I learned the balance of just putting my hope solidly in, in the whole purpose of what God is doing, even as I apply my little efforts to the things here and now. And I don't need to put my hope and faith in how good my efforts are going to be. Are they going to be enough? Or is it, is it going to resolve the issues? No, I don't have to do that. I look at God's efforts and his purposes and his promises, and I live by faith on those. And I know that 
in the train of all of that, these other things will get themselves worked out. I'll just be responsible to do what I ought to do, but I don't have to be wrapped up in them. My life and my future, the future of my family, all of that does not rise and fall with me. It rises and falls with the Lord. And so that's what they did. They, faith looks at those things from the distance and welcomes them. And they, it can, faith makes a confession. Having confessed that there are strangers and aliens here, that this is not our home. We're, we're not distraught because governments aren't working correctly and, and world orders are, are all, all out of sorts and no one knows what's going to happen day to day here. We know what's happening. We know what's going to happen. We know that God allows men to undo themselves sometimes because of their obstinance against him and that he brings judgment upon nations. He, he works through all of these things. And so because we, this world isn't our home, it doesn't make us insensitive to the needs of the lost and the people around us, but it makes us immune to the actual anxieties and the concerns that grip the hearts of people. And we're able to walk in faith and trust him and have both hands free to minister to one another, to minister to others, because we're not just trying to cling to a life that's already passing away. And so these are the things that, this is what faith looks like, and that's that beautiful picture you th see through so many examples in chapter 11. <clears throat> Second Chronicles uh, chapter 16 is a verse you, many of you probably know well. In verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He sees a heart that's earnestly looking, and earnestly looking to the things that he's promised. It's, 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 it's wrapping itself around a confidence in his purposes and looking at the faithfulness of our God and the power to carry everything out. He looks at that heart and he strongly supports that heart. He endows it with assurance. He endows it with deep conviction. The strength comes from God himself. It's not something we can muster up. We can't get assurance by ourselves. We can't get that kind of conviction but if we put our eyes in the right place, then he will give us that very strength we need, this assurance that is rooted in a confidence in his faithfulness and, and um, a confidence in his sovereign power to carry everything out. And one last thing before we look at just a few of the examples in chapter 11 is that... Um, you know, this is just the way things work. Living by faith is not an odd thing to do. It's not the thing that some people do. It's the way things work for everybody who's a believer. There's an interesting text that Paul makes an informative statement, I think, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. He, he makes this statement. He says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to, sh to shame the things that are strong, the base things of the world and the despised things. These are the things that God chooses because there's nothing in them that commends them to the world. There's not something that the world can say, I had a part in that. That's my, my <clears throat> work there. No, he takes the things this is the most informative statement right here. God has chosen the things that are not, the are nots, and he's chosen so that he may nullify the things that are. All the things that the world says, these are the things that are. These are the things pay attention to. These are the things you better make sure that you have or you're going to get along in this world very well. And God says, no, I'm going to choose the things that are not, the things you don't have, you don't have anything you need to go to heaven. You don't have anything you need to really survive in this earth, but I'm going to give you what you need 
and I'm going to nullify the things that are seemingly against you. That's simply how God works. And it glorifies him, and it brings peace, and it brings joy to his own people. So it's really to our benefit just to accept and understand this is how faith works for all of us. This is how we deal with life, is by looking at the things that are unseen, the unseen purposes of God, and hoping in the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. When you'd read this chapter, you'd see that God had given great promises to Abram, and it was many, many years, decades, and still the promise is just in the seed form by the time he leaves this world. Remember what it said at the beginning, that chapter, on that verse I just read, it says, all these died not having received the promise. They didn't need the proof of what God was going to do. They had God's word that he's going to do it, but it's going to even extend beyond my own life. But I live by faith, trusting him, living in my, putting all my hope in him. And that's how I'm able to live for him. So let's just look at a, a couple examples as we, as we look at this chapter here. So the writer of the Hebrews bring, believe it or not, he begins with three of the most essential accomplishments of faith. What does faith and the strength that it gives to us, this assurance and this conviction how does this strength allow us to live? What does it actually accomplish? And he begins, as I said, with three very essential accomplishments. And we can see straight away, if I were just to read the first one, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of that which is visible. You know, just that very first statement, by faith we understand. You, you look at that verse and you go to the very end of the chapter and it talks about some. By faith they were tortured. They refused to be released because they had a better hope and promise. They were looking at the reward. And you go, wow, that, that's a, one is just me understanding something. One is going through tremendous travail. But faith gives strength to the believer like that. It doesn't matter what it is. God overcomes these amazing weaknesses in us and allows us to rise to the occasion day by day and live for him. But it starts out with these simple things. If we don't do these first simple things, we're never really going to be ready for the more arduous things. So let's look at this first one. <clears throat> As we said, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That is something that, you know, all believers, we just, yeah, God created the world in six days. He created it with a word, with his words. You know, there's a world of blessing and strength and joy just in this one simple statement, but it can go, it can go right by us so easily. And again, looking at these who had who were now struggling in their faith. They had done well, and now they're, they're almost shrinking back a little bit, wondering if they need to reassess how they're going to live out this faith. Maybe my faith needs to be adjusted. Maybe Jesus really isn't the Son of God. I mean, you know, all these things that they wrestled with. And yet, here's one very simple one they forgot, that God created the world in six days, he created everything with a word. You know, the writer starts at the very inception of all things and it introduces us to God himself, the God who is, and the God to whom there is no comparison. That fact alone, that that God is your God, that God is our God, is staggering when you look at the world situation, when you look at the confusion of people in the world, of leaders in the world, of, of scientists in the world, of all the things of men doing everything they can to create a society that will somehow be able to overcome all the obstacles of war and disease and economics and make a nice place for everybody to live, they're completely confounded because they don't know the God who created everything with a word. Everything that we see 
never existed before his word was spoken. When we open up God's revelation, think of it. This is the Lord arranging his word. The very first thing he chose to place before our eyes in this book is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Those just so simple words. We, we sometimes, if we just go over that, it's like, yeah, we know that. We, we, have, we memorize things like, and, we, and they're parts of our faith. But more than it being a part of your knowledge that's part of your faith, is it part of the assurance and the conviction of that faith? Well, you're profoundly moved by the fact that the God who made all things is your God. This God of might and of power unimaginable and of mercy and grace unimaginable. That God would choose those to be the first words that we see is hugely significant. And these had forgotten that very thing. That God created everything we see from that which cannot be seen. And so much as we said, he works in our lives that way. He brings to pass things in our lives. I'm, how many times would a believer say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't see how this is going to get ironed out. I can't see how this is going to work. I can't see, I can't see, I can't see, I cannot see. I can't understand. So we move to a God who does see and a God who understands all things and a God is willing to do all things and we rest our hearts there. We rest our hopes there and we find assurance and conviction in that God as we work through the issues of our lives. We think of men in Jonah's day. You remember Jonah escaping uh, thinking he's escaping from God. He puts himself on a boat to go in the opposite direction of where God had sent him. <clears throat> the storm comes up and they drag Jonah out from the bottom of the ship. Everybody needs to seek their gods and get, or we're all done for. We need some higher power to do something. This is, we're not going to survive this. And as they look at Jonah, Jonah, well, well everybody's like, well, what, what does your God do for a living? Well, my God created the seas, and the dry land. And they're terrified. <laughs> he's the one, he's, it's his power who's tearing apart this ship. It's his power that's convulsing the seas. That's who my God is. And it terrified them, and rightly so, because there's no other power. All these other little provincial gods who can maybe, like good luck charms, help here, help there. No, this is the God who made everything. And again, that should always be a great, great thing in our hearts, that our God is the maker of everything. And it is the first accomplishment of faith that we see in this chapter. It has to do with regard to God's word. So when we say, do we read the word of God with a heart that is strengthened by faith? Do we read it just to read it? Do we read it to get information? Now I know more than I knew before. I know more doctrine. I know this little tricky part here that most people have difficult. I understand that now. But do you know the God who wrote that word? And is that the God who you're living under the canopy of his blessing and power and might and presence? Is he the God who's with you moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, through the long suffering nights, through the difficult trials? Is he there? Is he the God who's there? Because if he is, the assurance, the conviction you have from that God will carry you through the minutes, the long hours, the long years, whatever it may be. He will work through those things. He will strengthen you. He will bless others through you. He will bring others to Christ from your life. All these things he will do because you have put your heart and your mind upon the assured promises of God and upon the purposes that cannot be undone, that he will finish everything perfectly. Do we think, any of us, that we will come to eternity and it's going to be kind of like somebody does this great performance in the Olympics and now it's time for the judges to make their marks and some just take a little bit off some give a perfect mark, whatever. Is anybody going to come to eternity and go, well, you know, 
He could have done that part just a little bit better. We know that whatever will be done will be so much more than we could have ever imagined. It'll be glorious and perfect. And all the unanswered questions and all the unanswered anguish or things we don't understand here will be perfectly answered there. Faith sees that day and lives on that day, even as it deals with the hardships and griefs of this day. But it gives us strength to do so and produce a life that is a light to the world. It's a blessing to one another and a strength to one another, and it's a glory to the God who's saving you. Because these are my people, they trust me, they look to me, and I answer them. And he is your God. So by faith we understand what God has revealed about himself and his purposes, and how that relates to everything else in the world we live in. You know, we don't have to understand all the complexities of the world we just need to understand our God and how his purposes relate to them. The rest really doesn't matter. The Lord will work out everything. <clears throat> Men have a way of making things so complicated and difficult and tedious. Uh, the Lord is not that way. By faith, we are able to see his word as a standard for all things. We are confident in this word. It is a standard for everything in life. It answers to all the things that are not right in the world. And we know God is not about making this world a perfect and nice place. This world is reserved for judgment. It's like the Titanic. The hull, the hull is already in the hull. The head is going down, and the ship is ready to go under. God is saving a people out of this world. That's what he's doing. And he's bringing a new heavens and a new earth. That's his purpose. That's how he works and what he's doing. And by faith, we're able to see these things and live in the presence of them and breathe the air of them. Yes, we all have moments of weakness and struggle and at times that, yeah, our faith is kind of weak and we're really borne down by a grief or a sorrow or a pain or just an anxiety. Something is, just keeps nagging. It's not getting resolved. And we just need to come back. Come back again and renew our minds and hearts on the greatness of the promises that he's given to us as his people and the power that he will exert to all of his purposes and he will complete them. <clears throat> By faith, God and the word of his truth are more precious to us than anything of this passing age that we live in to know our God and to have his truth See, by faith, we're able to understand his word, and it means everything to us. And more than all the things I can see, the unseen things of God transcend them all. Everything that there is so much about our God that we sing about that we don't see, the world doesn't see, but we know by his spirit, and we have the, the assurance, and we have the conviction about it. Well, let's move on to the, the second accomplishment that we see here. And another one, a very simple, you know, we look at faith is not just for the great, huge challenges, you know, the, the great wars that we saw, you know, in the Old Testament and the great, the parting of the Red Sea. All those are glorious events and we should marvel at them. But the same power exerted in those, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is the power working in your lives and in your hearts. You know, so it is, but it is important to not overlook the little things. Here's another seemingly little thing. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So what is the second great accomplishment? The first enables us to, to understand God's word as truth. The second one enables us to worship God in spirit and truth. There could be nothing more important to our lives than to be worshipers of God. Not just here, but day by day, in our hearts, in every spare moment, you know, just casting up a thought toward God, a thanksgiving toward him, a worshiping of him, acknowledging his character and the nature of who he is, it buoys up our hearts. 
So here what we're actually seeing, there's actually Abel's regard for God is what's being compared to Cain's regard for God. Because worship is all about your regard for him. How do you regard him determines the genuine nature of what's coming out of your mouth and what's coming from your lips. Is it in spirit and in truth? As Jesus said, the Father's looking for such, and that's what Abel already was doing. Now, we need to <clears throat> understand that they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have what we have even today. But what did they have? Just take a moment and look. They would know already what God was worthy of. They would know intuitively, just by looking at the glory of the created order around them, that this God is the God we're worshiping. This is the God we're coming to. They would have also known what had been lost. They would have known from their parents, having been expulsed from the garden, that uh, they had an unhindered fellowship, the beauty of the garden they lived in. They would have known the days that they walked with God in sweet fellowship until that fateful day. They would know the history of the fall and what it did to their, their folks and what it did to the earth and what fell out of that. Even the promise of God to overdo and undo evil one day. They would know what was necessary to approach God. So they both knew, Abel and Cain both knew these things. They knew what was right and how to come to God. <clears throat> but it was Abel, however, who took these things to heart. You know, God had slaughtered the animals and made a covering out of skins for Adam and Eve to hide their shame after they had sinned and to clothe their nakedness. You know, Abel and Cain would have known these things, but Abel took these things to heart. He knew what God desired in a sacrifice. He knew what he was worthy of, and he approached God with that faith. He approached God in the right way, in a way that was, would glorify him. He looked at the unseen God through the lens of what once was, and yet the glory that still remained, and he worshiped God out of the knowledge of those things and the revelation of them. That's how he offered his sacrifice. And so <clears throat> he offered a sacrifice suitable to the faith that was in his heart, understanding that, that he had of the God, <clears throat> the understanding that he had of the God to whom he was coming. And so we would ask ourselves too, that is a standard when we worship God, when we pray to him, you know, in our homes, in the secret place, whether it's here, whether it's each day in our houses and in our cars, at work, wherever we get alone with him, you know, that we connect with him in a way that is genuine, that is a way that is through our faith, the God of glory, the God of these great promises, the God of un <clears throat> unbroken purposes, um, the God who is doing everything, the God who sent his son, the God who showed, shed his shed his love abroad uh, through that son to save a people. That these are the things that, that are collectively bound in our hearts as we worship him and as we pray to him, as we seek things from him, we come to him in that way. You know, how we enter the place of prayer and worship is going to determine how we leave that place of prayer and worship. You know, when we come to God with just words and hardly anything is thinking about him, we're just in angst and we're just kind of pouring out our complaint and our, and our, our, our sorrows and all our need. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we do, if we don't arrest our own attention and bring it to bear upon, wait a minute now, let's look at who God is. Let's look at what he's done. Let's look at how many times he has done X, Y, and Z and come to him in that faith then we can leave prayer just as anxious as we came into it. We look at Cain. Cain. Cain left prayer that day, that moment of worship. He left it as a bitter and dejected man because he knew what he needed to do, but he would not do it. And so Abel was the one that God accepted. He was the one who had a heart <clears throat> to acknowledge this God that he was coming to. And so this is another issue of faith accomplishes, it enables us to worship right. And that may seem like a small thing, but again, go back to any of the great miracles. Why was David able to go down into the Valley of Elah and face Goliath that day? 
he was astounded. There's armies up here with all the weaponry needed, and everyone's just sitting there. Because the God that, that David worshipped while he was shepherding sheep, while he was doing whatever he was doing, was the same God that could undo this man. He was, there was no difference in David's mind because he was a worshiper of God. He believed and he kept his faith fixed on that God. So he go, I'll go down. We'll just deal with this right now. And there was no presumption in that at all. He just understood who his God was and he understood his purposes. That God's purposes are that his people should not be humiliated and this person is going to be taken out by God. And that's what David understood. Well, let's finish with this final one. By faith we what we <clears throat> let's look at um, Enoch by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before he before his being taken up he was pleasing to God you know what is it that faith that helps us to accomplish to walk with him to simply walk with him day by day. If you read in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. You know, there are many who have walked with God, I'm sure, as Enoch did. But God takes one person because what does he want to do? He wants to make a very important point to us <clears throat> that this is how important this is to him. It pleases him greatly when we walk with him so what do we mean we walk by faith? We are walking with our God. It is a, Enoch would have been one, this simply would be what it would be to walk with God, who ordered his thoughts, what he did day by day, the attitude of his heart, everything that he was consciously aware of, he sought to bring in line with what he understood God desired. That's what it is to walk with God. The more that everything that I do, whatever my hands touch, whatever my mind thinks upon, whatever is setting, sitting in my heart, when it's something that's not what God desires, I, I, Lord, take this away. Help me put this away. We remove ourselves from the things that he doesn't desire, and we aim at the things that he, he does. The natural outcome, if you think of it, we've got the example of Abel in his worship, but the natural outcome of genuine worship is this very thing, that we want to obey him. We want to bring pleasure to him. We want to please this God. We want to walk with him. You know, that is the, the, the natural corollary to worshiping God, is walking with him. To walk with God would mean that his daily purpose was, that is Enoch, to above all else seek the Lord's desires in all things while denying his own. And we know this is, this is the very ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? You know, to pick up our cross day by day and deny ourselves and walk with him. As Paul would say, to mortify sin, put sin to death in our lives, in the flesh, so that we can carry out the will and pleasure of God. This is the great warfare of the Christian life, is it not? It is a great labor, too. But great, the, the, more, the more wonderful habit to form is this habit of faith. Because as faith grows and strengthens, then these things become part and parcel to our life. Understanding God's word by faith, <clears throat> worshiping God aright and walking with him. So he would have been one <clears throat> who found also a growing delight in God. You know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your de the desires of your heart are so different, aren't they, when you delight yourself in God. They align with his. They align with him. And in the beauty of all that he is and all that the Lord Jesus is, is are we formulate our own desires and prayers after those things. It just simply is the way that it works. And this was... Enoch was such a man. No, he would have been one who found that his own growing delight in the Lord elevated the desires of his own heart to serve a higher purpose while avoiding everything to the contrary. So it matters how we go to the store. 
It matters how we stand in line at the checkout. It matters how we go to work, what we do at work, what we do at school. It matters how we do everything, how we sit and how we rise, how we sit down, how we lie down. All these things, the more that we can bring our faith to bear upon the life that we live, to bless the God who is saving us, to live in this faith with a strength of assurance and conviction, to trust in his word, to walk in his ways. These are the simple matters. And you can see that if you read through the rest of this chapter, all the things that are accomplished are accomplished on this foundation. And so then we just conclude, a faith that is always being strengthened by a growing hope in the things that God has promised to us and purified by a deepening conviction of those purposes and how he will ultimately fulfill them. Such a faith enables us to understand his word as truth. And when we do that, we are thrilled when we read his word. Even if we've read something so many times, to see it again and to see it again and to reflect on it again, it, it, it warms our hearts again and again. We are those who can worship God in spirit and in truth by faith, by the same faith. And we are those who can walk with him day by day through that faith, through the very difficult trials of life, through the nagging concerns, through the little things. Sometimes the littlest thing, as we said, can be the thing that just gets us off our game, so to speak. And now it just kind of follows us throughout the day. Why? Because we didn't stop right then. Wait, wait, I'm, no, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to think of what you are. I'm going to think upon your promises. I'm going to trust in your great purposes. Forgive me where I have failed in this and been part of whatever's going on. If there is anything that I've even done, and if not, and it's all somebody else, then forgive them. But whatever it is, I'm not going to let this thing rule the day. You're going to rule the day. And these little habits, they take time to where they're more and more and more. Fewer minutes of the day go by before we return to this simple habit of living by faith. And so, as you can see, it, it is what makes the believer. It is everything that uh, brings us joy and peace as we would walk with him. Well, I would just end with this final verse, and it really extends into verse 12, doesn't it? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, you know, everything that the, the writer had piled up in chapter 11, example after example after example after example, he says, we have this huge cloud of witnesses, and he's telling this to these people that were getting ready to throw away their confidence. You've got all of this. You have all of this witness to how these things work. He's saying, hold fast. We have this surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance. That's what he was after in the first place. You need endurance. You need to press on. But you can't do it if you don't have assurance. You can't do it if you don't have conviction. You won't have the strength. You can't do it just by thinking some good thoughts or having a few Bible verses on your wall or on your coffee cup. It has to be in your heart. It has to be the God who is to you. And let us run the race that is set before us. Everyone has a different race. We can sometimes look at somebody else's race, go, wow, it looks, their race looks so easy. Mine just seems really difficult. How can they get all the breaks? You know, and if you knew their life and you knew what was going on, maybe things they haven't even said, you would have no idea what they're dealing with as well. Whatever it is, God has a, a myriad of ways to show his glory in each one of you uniquely and differently. So whatever comes into our life, we might call misfortune, is God's opportunity he says, just walk with me through this and glorify me in the faith that you have. And let that be your life's mission. My life's mission isn't to get my health concerns behind me or to get a better employment or get this done and get that. So once these things are taken care of, then I can really live. No, no, your, 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 your mission in life is to walk through the events of your life with faith. Wherever there's sin, we depart. And wherever we can show up faith, we strengthen it. So run the race that's set before you. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He's the reason we even have faith in the first place, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, that we can even say those words, even when Jesus, uh, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Glorious be your name to us. Great your name would it be to us. That though you are our Father, you are the mighty God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us what we need. As Peter said, everything we need for life and godliness, you have given us through your precious promises, through your Son. Lord, help us to take the things you've given to us and invest our time, invest our thoughts, push aside the busy things that sometimes just simply do not need to be done so that we can put our hearts where they ought to be and walk with the God who is saving us and enjoy the times with you, Lord, and walk with you in faith and know your word and love your word and grow in our understanding of your great purposes and see the fabric of our own life woven into eternity and the lives of your ancient people, Israel, and the lives of the saints who have gone before us. Lord, that we are all part of this, though, even as the writer of the Hebrews says, so that together one day we will enjoy it all together as a family of God. Father, thank you for your precious truth, that they are words that live. It is your living word, and it is your indwelling spirit who takes simple words and changes us, strengthens us, and helps us to breathe the air of heaven even while we live here below. Father, help us to be a light in a city on a hill. Lord, that we can bring hope to those who are still in chains of darkness, still bound in dungeons of confusion and iniquity. Lord, to bring hope to them and to bring our God to them. Lord, we ask for your blessing on these things in our lives to help us grow in them day by day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.